Let's take your Bibles to turn now to Matthew chapter 28. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the Great Commission again and then make a couple of explanatory statements or some remarks about it. But let's take a look at the Great Commission. And remember, it starts in verse 18, Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. And it starts out by saying, Jesus came near and said to them, now the them are all the disciples who had gathered in Galilee with him as he told them after his resurrection. And he came near and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And may God bless the reading of his word. Let's have a, a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word, and we ask that you will open our hearts to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and that we will receive this message and this teaching as uh, believers and as a church that's committed to being a Great Commission church, that we will understand what you are telling us to do, and that we will be able to accomplish this here at Providence Baptist Church and glorify and exalt Jesus Christ because the world needs to know the hope that is in him and the joy of the salvation that is in him. And then help us, Father, to be faithful church members, discipling others and helping them to grow in Jesus Christ so that they too can go and share the precious love that Jesus has for us with the rest of the world. We pray, Father, that you will guide us in this moment, in this hour, to lift up Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Well, you gotta put your thinking caps on or remembering caps on today because this is the third series in a message, or third of three sermons, but the first two came well before Palm Sunday. We, we took a break there and we didn't get the finale until now. So it's like watching a movie for a while and you have to turn the TV off and go do a bunch of stuff and come back and you're saying, now what, what happened? Who is that? What was the plot? What was going on? So we have to put our remembering caps on today to remind ourselves that this is part of our study of the Great Commission. One thing I love about being a transitional pastor is I get to talk about the Great Commission because Great Commission churches are those churches who have decided to become essential churches in their community and in their world. And as we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he has called us to go out and to be witnesses. Uh, we read that out of uh, the Isaiah passage. God is expecting us to be witnesses of his grace and glory and his mercy in Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do we exactly do that? Well, Jesus gave us this statement, this great commission to teach us exactly how to do this. And if you remember from the very first sermon, we learned that Jesus actually made two statements of very important statements of truth and fact. And then he followed uh, the first statement with four commands, and then he concluded with the last statement. His first statement was, all authority, all power, all dominion 
is given unto me. So we know for a fact that this is the power of God given to Jesus Christ. So when we go to be Great Commission servants, we don't have to worry about doing it on our own ability because we do it on the power of Jesus Christ. So he's telling the disciples, if you remember, that they don't have to worry about what's going to happen. He's got it because he's got all the power. He has all the authority, all the dominion. Then he gives four commands and he follows up the four commands with a statement of his presence, power and presence. He says, look, I am with you always. So we don't go out or we don't go anywhere where we don't have Jesus with us. He's always there and he's always helping us to do this great commission. It's like he's giving us a task to do, but he's not leaving us high and dry on our own abilities and power or that we have to go out it and do it alone. So these two statements are very important in framing our understanding of the Great Commission. Jesus has got all the power, and Jesus is with us when we do it. So we talked about that in the first sermon and what that meant for us as a church. And then we started on the first two of the, of the four commandments. Well, actually, the second commandment is really a commandment and imperative but the others connected to that are part of that commandment the tasks that jesus calls us to do within the great commission there are four things and we studied on the first one where jesus said go or since you're going or because you're going i want you to go and that's the first thing we we don't come in here and sit and do nothing we got to get up and go right and we got to go out into the world. Jesus didn't want us to cloister ourselves away from the world. He didn't want us to be part of the world, but he wanted us to go out there and take the message of the gospel, the good news. The good news is, is what we have in Jesus Christ is something to be shared, not to be hidden. It's not like you, you find a great treasure and then you go dig in the dirt and hide it. You're supposed to share it because that's what we have, this great treasure in understanding that God loved us so much that he gave his son, his precious son, to die on the cross for our sins that we will have that kind of eternal life that's walking with Jesus and everyday experience of being with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So we're supposed to go. And then he said, and the commandment there in the first two commandments is literally make disciples or disciple all nations. Now that's the big issue. That's the big if. What does it mean to make a disciple? As a matter of fact, in part two, when we talked about going and making um, disciples, there were two questions that arose um, out of that. The first question was, well, what is a disciple? Just what does it mean to say make disciples of all nations? Make a disciple. What is a disciple? And we offered a tentative definition of what a disciple is. A disciple of Jesus are those who hear, understand, and obey the teachings of Jesus. A disciple is someone, a disciple who can claim to be a disciple of Jesus, are those who hear, understand, and obey the teachings of Jesus. And that was our definition. So when Jesus said, go out, and make disciples, we know that disciples are people who hear him, who, who obey him, and who understand and are willing to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus said to go out and make disciples. 
But the second question, which is important, is how do you get to be a disciple or how do you make a disciple? Jesus said, go make disciples. And then we have to ask the question, okay, what is a disciple and how do you make a disciple? And Jesus didn't leave us then to our own um, ideas and our own thoughts and our own strategy. The good news is that in this third part of this sermon, the last two commands precisely tell us how to go and make disciples. What he's wanting us to do and sharing with others how to do that so that we all together, if God is gracious and grants it, that we will be able to hear, understand, and obey the teachings of Jesus, and we'll help other people do that too. And that's why we want to be a Great Commission church. We want to be an essential church, a church where people come and feel like just life isn't quite the same without the church, without the worship, without the, the community, without the grace and the fellowship together as believers in Christ. And so the Great Commission gives us that kind of understanding if we look into it deeper and we try to dig into to the word here and try to figure out what's going on. Now I have to make a confession again. Um, I think these two parts, these last two commandments, which happen to be kind of participles, which simply means I'm a teacher, you understand, and I teach Hebrew, I teach a language. So I talk about the parts of speech. But a command is saying, do this, but a participle connected to a command says, you do it, but you don't do it once, you keep on doing it. So these two participles that we have left to deal with are things that Jesus expects us to do. And I want to tell you that they are rich in their meaning, but they're something to ponder and think about and not just take for granted. We, we, we probably learn the Great Commission when we're in vacation Bible school. And everybody taught it and everybody learned it, you know. And, and yet at the same time, we don't exactly ponder it as deeply as Jesus said it. And we sometimes uh, make maybe a little bit of a misunderstanding by implying that it means something and not really waiting or listening to the power of the Holy Spirit to teach us what it means. The last two questions or commandments, as you should well know them, are... Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So it's baptizing. That's the first participle, ongoing action. And the second is teaching, teaching. That's an, another participle, ongoing action. So what does Jesus mean when he says baptizing and teaching? Well, there's things that he connects to those and the items and the phrases and the thoughts that he connects to those two participles, baptizing and teaching, are also very important in understanding what it means to be a Great Commission church. After all, we want to be a Great Commission church. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to be successful in our worship, in our ministry, in our sharing of the good news so that the world might know that Jesus is the hope and the answer to everything and we need to lift him up and exalt him. The, these two questions are addressed in the last two commandments. If we are supposed to be a disciple, number one, and make disciples, that's what making a disciple means. I mean, I think it's very hard to make a disciple when you're not a disciple. Would you agree? 
So when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, it's like we are the examples of what a good disciple should be. So at the same time, we have to be a good disciple in order to make a good disciple. That's just the way it is. So when we ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple? I mean, probably honestly, we would say, what does that mean? And that's something that God didn't totally identify like A, B, and C when you say disciples are those who hear, understand, and obey the teaching of Jesus. It has, <clears throat> it has this underlying, under, uh, underlying point of understanding that it's ongoing for the rest of our lives. I mean, you don't totally comprehend something like me and the new math. I can't get that. I can't figure that out, right? You know, we, we homeschooled our kids, so we had to do algebra and the new math. And I'm going, huh? And so it's taken a long time to kind of figure those things out. And as we get older and wiser, we understand a little bit more about things. Well, as we get mature and older and wiser in Jesus, we, become, we begin to understand more about the depth and the, the depth and the joy and the excitement of his teaching. So people sometimes think being a Christian means you got eternal life and that's it. And you're ready, you're good, do whatever you want to do. But that's not what Jesus says, that's not what the Bible says. Becoming a Christian means you're starting to be a disciple and you have a lifelong opportunity to learn what it means to be a disciple. To learn the sweetness and the joy of Jesus Christ and how he's... We can abide in Jesus. Even when we don't think we can go on, we can abide in him. And he holds on to us and he guides us and he teaches us and he loves us. And the moment we come to know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, we begin to embark on that journey of growing deeper and deeper and deeper until we become that kind of mature Christian. Not because of what we do, but because of what he does to develop us and grow us and help us to tell others what it means Understand that God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, and he says there is no other God besides him, and he created us, and he made it possible through Jesus Christ for us to be part of his family, to be connected to him, to love him, and love people and serve the world. That's why we're doing this, because he did this, and this is all result of our learning and our growing and how to do things. And sometimes... It means making mistakes. It's a, it means being open and transparent and human. I don't walk around saying, look at me, how great a Christian I am. Because as soon as I say that, I'll become a hypocrite. Because I, I can't be a good Christian. I stumble and I fall, but it's through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that I can grow and learn and grow and learn and grow and learn. And God gives me the sweetness of being able to walk with Jesus because I know Jesus is going to help me and he's going to help teach me, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be forgiven of all the mistakes I make, and God is going to lift me up and help me, and he's always there with me, and that's being a disciple. So we have to be a disciple in order to make disciples. People are looking at us, and if they only see a bunch of hypocrites, that's not what they want, but if they see people who are really human and really open and really striving to serve God and love God and love others and serve the world, then they're going to say, wow, that must be what a disciple is. A disciple is one who, as we said, hears the good news, hears the teachings of Jesus, and then begins to understand those teachings, 
and then more importantly begins to obey and guard and keep those teachings. So that's what we're saying here. Jesus wants us to be disciples and make disciples. So we do it this way. Number one, the public pursuit of Great Commission disciples. I don't know how we got verses one through four in there. That's probably my mistake. But anyway, we're just going to look at verse um, 20, teaching them, or sorry, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. The public pursuit or the public commitment of a disciple is actually encapsulated in this phrase, baptizing them. Baptizing them means, baptism means to sink a ship. I, I don't think the biblical way of baptizing is to sprinkle or throw water on you. It's to dump you in the water and go under. It's used in the Old Testament um, uh, to refer to Naaman, that Aramaic uh, chief or general who had leprosy and he was told to go dunk himself seven times in the Jordan, which he did, and then he was healed. It's also used to speak of the high priest who takes his finger and dips it in the blood of the sacrifice and then puts it and purifies the altar and the veil and the holy place. It's used in the New Testament or in the Greek world to sink a ship to go under. And it's used here to indicate that there is a public presence or a public commitment, a public way that baptism um, seeks to show, so that baptism seeks to show who we belong to and what we're about. Baptizing is really a symbolic action. There's no magical or necessary thing. I don't believe in baptismal regeneration, but I think baptism is a way of coming and saying, this is my commitment. I have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and I'm following Jesus in the waters of baptism as a public testimony so that everybody who sees me and sees what I'm doing understands who I'm aligned with and what I've chosen to be part of or a little bit more specific, what God has chosen for us to be part of as we become part of the family of God. It's the entrance to the family of believers, but I want to underscore that it's a public identification. It's something we do in public. We don't do it in private. We do it in public. And we often take this for granted. Other cultures, however, if you get publicly baptized, it's a death sentence. And there are cultures around the world who will kill you if you do that. Now, while baptism is a symbolic action, there is a spiritual blessing because God is showing the world and we are showing the world in our obedience. That's where that term obedience come in. Um, Jesus is commanding us to be baptized and so we're doing it. And because we are obedient, God is blessing us spiritually because, because we become part of a family of God, a group of believers who grow together, who are the disciples there, and who learn and who study the teachings of Jesus. Then Jesus says, baptize them, so we're baptizing them, and that's what baptism is all about. Now, having said that, I want you to remember that we don't save people. 
we can't dump them in the water and they're saved. If, we could, if I could save people, I'd snap my fingers and save the whole world. But that's not the way God chose to do it. God chose to give his son on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, and it is God and God alone who saves. But you know what we are called to do? We are called to bring them to Jesus. So baptizing implies some sort of evangelism, some sort of telling others the good news, some sort of getting the message out that God who created the universe, whom we rebelled against, is willing to forgive us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. So we tell the world all about the good news. God miraculously, wonderfully saves them. And then we get to help them make that public statement of baptism. So baptism is not something that you in, or attach on to the end of what you do. I, I think that the Baptist church, I know the Baptist church has two ordinances. Are you with me? Number one is the Lord's Supper, because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Number two is baptism. Sometimes we stick the Lord's Supper on the end of a service once in a while because we have to do it. And we don't focus on its meaning or its teaching or the depth of the, the spiritual joy and grace that we can receive and, and coming to understand the significance of it. I think that's often true of baptism. We just sort of dunk people because it's time for them or they're old enough. But see, I don't think, that to me lessens, and maybe you could even use this word, cheapens baptism. Baptism ought to be a tough thing. Oh, it's tough. Yeah, you got to stand up in front of people. You got to give your testimony, maybe. You got to get up there and you got to answer questions. And it's supposed to be tough. If it was a cakewalk, why would we even worry about it? But we don't. We make it tough. It should be tough because you know what you're doing? You're identifying publicly that you belong to Jesus, that you're part of what he's doing, that you're wanting to be his disciple. And by being baptized, it should be saying, I want to learn every single thing I can about Jesus and learn every single thing I can do to be like him and to follow him. Because isn't that what we do with our teachers? Our teachers teach us well, I guess maybe in the Western culture, we think our teachers just teach us this body of junk that we cram in our brain. But in Jesus and the people of his day, in the Old Testament, teaching was life-changing. It wasn't just a body of stuff you learned. It's a way of life. It's a way of acting, a way of being committed, a way of showing yourself in the world that identifies who you follow and who you belong to. So I think baptism should also be self, should be center focused. And we should make it a big deal because it's the stepping out of someone from a life of sin, the old nature, and testifying to the fact that they have been gloriously, miraculously forgiven of God, by God, through his son, Jesus Christ, and now they belong to him. And they're going to give their life, this is the way it should be, to learning every single day as God tarries in sending the son or he tarries in taking us home, that we learn more about him. Every day with Jesus, have you ever heard that song? Is sweeter than the day before. And that's really what baptism is the entrance to. 
You're saying publicly, I belong to Jesus. And that baptism is like God's stamp of approval, but it's his stamp to the world that says, he belongs to me, she belongs to me. And they're going out to fulfill the Great Commission to help. That's part of what a disciple does. Making disciples and we baptize them to set them forth and to set them apart and to say, hey, here is someone who is a believer in Jesus, someone who follows Jesus, someone who listens to Jesus, who, who begins to understand what Jesus is saying and then obeys the teaching of Jesus. That's how we make disciples, by witnessing to them all about who Jesus is. And when they come to Jesus, God saves them. Then we baptize them and we grow together in this whole enterprise, this whole journey of learning how to be faithful servants. The second point uh, or commandment, number two, is what we call the personal pursuit. And again, I've made a mistake of putting verse five there, but it's verse, um, verse 20, uh, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Uh, well, this is not a very good message today because I find myself getting ahead of myself and then I'm just going too long on one point. But let me go back for a second and say, look, Jesus said baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't want to miss that. I want to say that totality of the Trinity, Jesus, or God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, means that there's nothing else in there for us. It's just God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. That's all we need. And that's the totality of who we're joining. We're joining God in his work. And that's sort of explained in the Trinity. Okay, I've said that. Now I want to go on number, the next one, I apologize. This isn't my best sermon, I think. But nevertheless, Number two, it's just so deep. It's just so much to think about. It's just exciting for me to do this. And then number two, and I hope you're getting that, the, the, the personal pursuit is not the public pursuit, but it's the personal pursuit. Now, the thing about it is, is that the public pursuit is what we do outside so people know that we're identifying with Jesus. But the personal pursuit is what we do together and we do individually. And that's where Jesus said, teaching them to observe everything or to keep everything I've commanded you. The word observe in, in, in the New Testament understanding is just to watch and see. But in the Old Testament, it's not only just to watch and see, but it's to keep it in mind and to abide by it, to obey it. So you can have a watchman who is watching, but that watchman is also a guard who is guarding and and it's also someone who's observing the job of being a good watchman and a good guard. It's just not watching somebody in a detached fashion. Oh, I see that. But it's actually being that. It's actually doing that. And so Jesus said, you need to teach them to guard, to keep, to observe everything I've commanded. Wow. Well, that means that we go back in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, because we, this is God's word, and Jesus interpreted the Bible to them, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he taught them all about it. He taught how he was the fulfillment of, he was the Messiah, he was the fulfillment of all of God's uh, promises, and the prophets wrote about him, and all of this 
was really what Jesus was trying to say to teach them so they would understand why he came and who he was and what he was doing as he went to the cross and God raised him again on the third day. All of that is part of this personal, personal pursuit, this personal commitment. When you become a disciple, you have this faith in Jesus. He saved you, but then you make a commitment to learn about him, to study him, as we said earlier, to find out what he wants us to do and do it so that we can be like him. So the question is, and this also is a participle, keep on doing this. The question is, what are we supposed to observe? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment of all is to love God. And the second one is to love your neighbor. Those things are obvious, but we study all these things that Jesus said in the, in the Gospels and all the things that the apostles wrote about. Those that listen to him, we learn about it and we think about it and we ponder it. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to help us apply it. So what do we teach these people that become disciples? Well, we teach them about the hope of life we have in Christ. The true purpose of life, which is found in God and in Christ. We teach them about the soul satisfaction that comes in life in Christ. We don't need to worry about anxiety and worry because we have such a wonderful, marvelous Savior whose mysteries and secrets are so important and so, so joyous to, to ponder all the things of God's, the mystery of God's love for us and, and all of that. We teach them the joy of God's presence, that he's right here with us, the amazing the amazing nature of God's love for us is part of that which we, have to, we teach. All about Jesus and what he did in his death on the cross and God's power over resurrection, over dead, and, and raised him again on the third day, and God's power over sin and the problems that the world has. All of that is what we learn and we pass on. I get that. In fact, I want that. It's all the joy that we have and we begin to tell them about it. Christians ought not to be sour and dull and droll and just, oh, pessimistic. We need to be optimistic. If you have you checked, you go to the end of the book, the Bible, and you get the book of Revelation and we win. That's the point. And, what, and you know, life is tough. Yeah, it's not fair and it's tough. But we have the Savior and he goes through it with us and we learn all about that and that's what we're supposed to be commanded you don't have to put on a fake facade or a face and act like you're a wonderful great and perfect and pure person when you get in the family of god we all know we're sinners and we all love each other despite that because jesus did that despite who we were jesus died on the cross not because we were all perfect but because we were all sinners and yet he still loved us and recognized that. So Jesus said, teach people what I've commanded you. If you love me, you'll, you'll fulfill, you'll keep my commandments, observe my commandments, do those commandments. So we tell people what Jesus said. We learn what Jesus said because we study the Bible, because we believe the Bible, because we're called to be a great commission church, going out and telling them all about what Jesus said. One, one scholar said, if you don't have a teacher, you can't have a disciple. So you can't be a disciple of Jesus without having Jesus 
as your teacher. If we have such a zealous Savior, then we ought to be zealous disciples. If we come together recognizing that we're to be Great Commission Christians, then we need to recognize that our job is to go out and witness and testify and, and bring the good news to people so that if they come to know the Lord and we share with them how they can come to know the Lord, then they are able to be part of God's family and grow as disciples as well. You know, there are a lot of people who say that the various ways to help church grow, churches grow is by following either this formula or that formula or this kind of music or that kind of music. In fact, we've, we have a never-ending list of people who come up with new ways to do new things for churches. But I've found that the answer for an essential church is just to be faithful disciples. To be a Great Commission church is being a faithful disciple. And God blesses those churches by changing our attitude, because we don't sit, we go, and then change our action because we make disciples, and we make disciples by baptizing them into the family, publicly telling the world that that's what they've done. And then we begin to teach them what Jesus commanded us and how to be faithful to him and to his teachings. A man by the name of George Hunter wrote in an article uh, about um, the characteristics of churches that take the Great Commission seriously. And I wanted to share a couple of these with you as we conclude our message this morning on the last two parts, which are baptizing them and teaching them um, to observe all things that Jesus told them. And we do have up on the Facebook and the web page parts one and part two, if you'd like to go back and look at those. But this is what George Hunter said, that Great Commission churches, churches who take the Great Commission seriously, what we just did, are rooted in God's word through sound preaching and teaching and small group studies. We have to have places where people can come and learn about Jesus and what he taught us. Great Commission churches target the lost and unchurch and genuinely care about them. In other words, we need to care about others and target them and pray for them and, and invite them to come to know Christ. They are proactive in prayer. They share a rich vision of what individuals can become in Christ. You know, we can be totally satisfied, totally fulfilled... We can find self-fulfillment not in what the world says or somebody else, but in Jesus. Because we, are, we learn what we can be in Jesus and what Jesus can do for us as he loves us and he teaches us and we grow in him. And fully, we are totally, absolutely find our promise and our fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It's just no other way that you can be successful in what matters for time and eternity except by finding Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Great Commission churches minister to people. We don't just say it's my issues alone, but we go out and say, what are your issues? What are your life concerns? And we try to meet those goals and help those people to find the answers in Jesus Christ. Great Commission churches have a message that is relevant across generational lines. It just has... We don't, have, we don't change the message for younger or older folks. It's the same. It's Jesus, all in him and everything in him. 
Great Commission churches emphasize lay leadership according to the spiritual giftedness that God gives us. Great Commission churches recognize that shepherds do not make new sheep, but sheep make sheep. And they understand that. Um, Great Commission churches are not contented with being nominal, with nominal Christianity or being fans. We're not a fan of Jesus. We, that, that just means we sit and clap when he does something good but, or root for him. But that's not what we are. We, are. we seek to be true disciples, actually active in our faith. We grow in our faith when we learn to be Great Commission churches and Great Commission disciples. Um, as a, um, as a trans transitional pastor, the one thing that I think that is the most important of all for us to do is to learn this kind of commitment. We, we talked about the power, God's dominion, Jesus' power. We talked about his presence. We talked about the attitude change. We don't sit, but we go. We talked about the new action. We are to make disciples. But in reality, we also not only need to publicly mark ourselves as disciples by being baptized, but ultimately the bottom line is we need to have that personal pursuit, which is learning all we can about Jesus Christ. Disciples are actually those who hear, understand, and obey the teachings of Jesus. We are called to be committed. I'm going to ask the musicians to come, and we're going to sing, Come All Christians, Be Committed. And I hope that we'll make this our commitment today as we sing this. But we also have an invitation, so we challenge you. Uh, as we receive people here at the front, I'll be standing down here at the front. If you're looking for a church home, as we receive church members, we invite you to come. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to share with you what the Bible says about becoming a disciple. Now, you may not believe right away that, that being a disciple is really the answer to life, but I would challenge you to give us an opportunity to show you what it means to be a believer, to be a disciple, and how that will change your life for the absolute better when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So we challenge you during this invitation to meet me here at the front, and we'll, we'll send you off to another room, private room, and you can ask all the questions you want, and we'll show you what the scripture says, and then allow you to make your own decision. But we want to give you that chance and that opportunity. Let's stand and sing, Come All Christians Be Committed. <laughs>